Welcome to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds, a weekly podcast for pharmacists, physicians, physician assistants, and nurse practitioners who are interested in learning more about clinical pharmacology topics. I'm your host, Garrett Schramm, Director of Pharmacy Education and Academic Affairs at Mayo Clinic. To claim pharmacology CE credit or to get a copy of presentation slides, visit ce.mayo.edu slash pharmacy podcast. In today's Pharmacy Grand Rounds podcast, Dr. Mary Gilmer, a pharmacy operations manager at Mayo Clinic, outlines the daily challenge of drug shortage management that every healthcare organization faces. While it may be near impossible to eliminate drug shortages, the lack of a proactive approach presents a slew of problems for patients and the care team alike. Let's welcome Dr. Gilmer to get firsthand insight into minimizing the impact of drug shortages with a focus on how Mayo Clinic has tackled this dilemma over time. During our time together, we will review common causes and origins of drug shortages before then describing the impacts and implications that drug shortages have on our healthcare environment. And then we'll summarize by discussing strategies and processes for drug shortage management. So let's level set and understand what we do currently know about drug shortages. While we know drug shortages are not new to healthcare, we also know as witnessed by last year's COVID uh, pandemic that drug shortages are incredibly vulnerable within our global drug supply chain market. And in my eyes, drug shortages are a global pandemic. So with that said, let's understand how drug shortages are defined by groups that define them. Well, the Food and Drug Administration, or the FDA, defines a drug shortage simply as when the demand or projected demand for a medically necessary drug in the United States exceeds its supply. The American Society of Health System Pharmacists, or ASHP, defines a drug shortage as once verified with manufacturers, when drug shortage supply issues affect how a pharmacy prepares or dispenses a drug or influences patient care in such a way that prescribers must use an alternative therapy, regardless of whether or not this drug is considered as what the FDA deems as medically necessary. So you see there are some differences between those two groups, but they do define medically necessary or address it at least in a similar manner. So both of these organizations, the FDA and ASHP, define a medically necessary drug as any drug product that is used to treat or prevent a serious disease or medical condition for which there is no other adequately available drug that is judged by medical staff to be an appropriate alternative. So let's transition over to our Mayo Clinic definition of a drug shortage. Well, this is much simpler in that when supply of a medication may not meet our demand. We also do have several other additional terms related to drug shortage management, which include critical medication, which is used to treat or prevent a serious disease or medical condition for which there is no alternative medication available in adequate supply. So this sounds like the definition of FDA's and ASHP's medically necessary term. We also talk about impending outages, which is when there's a high probability of having no supply of a medication in the near future, which is defined as less than one to two weeks supply on hand before then reaching a true outage, which no available supply of a medication is on hand. So we'll transition into our first assessment question. The Food and Drug Administration cannot require a pharmaceutical company to make more of a drug. Is this A, true, or B, false? 
It looks like we've got the correct answer, which is A, true. So if the FDA cannot require a drug manufacturer to make more of a drug, what exactly is their involvement in drug shortage management and what can they do? Well, let's review the history of drug shortage management. So beginning in 1999, the FDA's Center for Drug Evaluation and Research established the first official drug shortage program, or DSP. The purpose of the DSP was to, to detect potential and actual drug shortages in the United States, but at this time had no authority to require a manufacturer to produce a specific drug or even report a supply disruption. A few years later, starting in 2001, national tracking of drug shortages began. This is what we see today as the FDA and ASHP drug shortage tracking. Fast forward to several years later in 2012, under the Obama administration, the FDA enacted the Safety and Innovation Act. It was with this new regulation that the FDA required manufacturers to report any changes that could potentially affect their manufacture of drugs. This act also specifically stated that the FDA requires manufacturers to provide at least a six months notice in advance if these manufacturers planning to discontinue or uh, intend to have some sort of supply disruption for any medication that's life-sustaining or life-threatening, or in other words, deemed as medically necessary. So these are great advancements in the regulation that came forward under the Obama administration. Two years later in 2014, a drug shortage summit was held. Now this included a multidisciplinary nation, uh, national organizations, including ISMP, ASHP, the University of Utah Drug Information System. They're the organization that really feeds the ASHP shortage statistics on the ASHP drug shortage website. The American Medical Association and of course, FDA's CEDAR. It was at this summit that these folks were supposed to examine manufacturing, economic, and regulatory factors related to drug shortages and their possible solutions. It was at this summit that critical topics were identified. In 2016, FDA drug shortage tracker was created. And then in 2017, we had Hurricane Maria that devastated Puerto Rico. I wanna give you some interesting facts here. As a result of that hurricane, at least 50 pharmaceutical manufacturing facilities were located on that island. As a result, this left nearly 40 critical medications, 12 of which were not produced anywhere outside of Puerto Rico on short supply. So pretty significant impact. Since that time, an enterprise subcommittee named the Mayo Clinic Shortage Management Oversight Subcommittee was established to support our Mayo Clinic Drug Shortage Management Program. This group is mainly comprised of pharmacy representatives, responsible for ensuring a proactive, effective, and timely approach to drug shortage management. So now that we understand the history, let's go ahead and take a look at our current state. So this graph shows the trend of active shortages by quarter from 2015 to year to date, as recent as March 31st, 2021. It appears that drug shortages continue to increase, increase each year despite decades of increased awareness, continued effort, and significant resource investment in the drug shortage programs that was what we saw on the last slide in the history. I'd like to now highlight a growing problem that exists within the new drug shortages, and that is highlighting the most common uh, new drug shortages by class each year. So over the last five years, the top five drug sh shortages that 
um, began a new shortage, included antibiotics, chemotherapy, cardiovascular agents, uh, central nervous system therapies, and hormone therapies as well. It's important to note that over the years, these most common drug classes keep presenting themselves, and they're increasing over time. Let's discuss a persistent issue occurring within new shortages. This graph shows us a breakdown in the number of injectables, which is highlighted in green, versus non-injectable medications, which is highlighted in yellow, of new shortages within each year. The significance of this slide is that over 16 of the last 21 years, injectable medications have consisted of 50% or more of the total drug shortages within each year. This tells us that not only drug shortages are increasing, as we've seen in the last few slides, but that the complexity in us being able to manage them successfully are also increasing, specifically for our healthcare organizations, acute care facilities, specialty areas, and clinic areas that administer these medications. So now we'll move on to our second assessment question, which is the American Society of Health System Pharmacists reported that legal and regulatory issues were the primary reason for drug shortages in 2020. Is it A, true, or B, false? Okay, we'll stop there, okay, before we keep going back and forth. So as it turns out, legal and regulatory issues appear to be the least common reason for drug shortages at a mere 2% in 2020. What was surprisingly the most common reason of drug shortages within the last year were reasons unknown. So how does that happen? Well, to better understand the unknown, let's review what we do know at the most basic level within the global drug supply chain. Let's take a journey through our supply chain and highlight the high-level issues that may contribute to drug shortages along the way. Please keep in mind that this is not meant to be an exhaustive list by any means, just tipping the tip of the iceberg the berg on this one. So beginning with the source materials or active pharmaceutical ingredients, APIs, these resources are scarce and finite. This leaves insufficient quantities of raw materials to meet the global supply chain demand. Adding to this consideration is recalls, so global recalls of these source materials. When recalls occur, this affects multiple products within our drug supply chain. Let's go back to 2019, where the swine flu took over millions of pigs out of stock in China. This affected nearly every heparin product that's on the market today. And if we wanted to understand quality concerns related to raw materials and source products, it's even hard to identify those quality issues or even the location of the sourcing materials given the proprietary nature of where these APIs are sourced. So even if we had concerns about quality, we had no idea how to locate them. Let's move on to the suppliers. While we currently have an extreme lack of suppliers, it's been said that nearly 60% of all of our drug molecules only have one or two suppliers. Adding to that, there are geopolitical and regional issues at hand involving trade restrictions and tariffs. Since the majority of our API is sourced overseas and nations like China, India, and Eastern European, as we saw over the last year with the COVID pandemic, when there is supply chain disruption, 
because these sources are overseas, these nations want to keep these raw materials finite and scarce for their own patients, for their own nation. They don't want to send it over to the United States. Manufacturers. Well, there should be no surprise that manufacturers are in the business to make money. Therefore, there is no incentive to produce less profitable drugs. If I can produce two drugs, I'm going to always go to the higher gross margin or the profit margin. Adding to that, the market does not reward and incentivize quality aspects. So manufacturers have really no reason to put large investments in quality. Therefore, when there are quality issues due to a lack of investment, production stops, right? We say, oh, I can't produce, manufacture for the next six months because uh, regular, uh, regulatory bodies or the FDA says I've got to improve my good manufacturing practices. Moving on to the wholesaler, when there is a supply disruption coming from the manufacturer to the wholesaler, you've got to appreciate the extreme dependence that wholesalers have on manufacturers to continue to supply them. So when manufacturing halts, these wholesalers have very short notice, and the wholesalers actually are put on immediate allocation from the manufacturers. Because the wholesalers are just middlemen, they don't keep a large quantity of supply on hand. It's first in, first out, inventory turnover and management. Therefore, when they ship out drug and they don't receive more, now your wholesaler is out of stock. Adding to that, when there are shortages, wholesalers, being the middlemen, are challenged with being able to satisfy their customer while preventing hoarding from occurring in the marketplace. Not really a situation to be in. Moving on to repackaging, well, I'd like to remember the 2012 fungal meningitis outbreak that affected a New England compounding center, resulting in 60 deaths and leaving hundreds of patients ill across our nation. This increased, unfortunately, regulations and compliance measures for all of our repackagers. So simply put, increased regulations equal decreased supply. Well, when we are able to successfully source, manufacture, and repackage drug, we're ready to ship it. As you know, climate change is real, and bad weather causes many delays, resulting in shortages across the supply chain. The COVID pandemic also brought about uh, really a, an important consideration with respect to air freight capacity. So a large majority of our generic drug market is transported on commuter passenger planes. And if passenger planes are grounded, there is no shipping of medications, especially our generic medications, from continent to continent, state to state. Pharmacy does play a role in shortages across the supply chain. And this has to do with purchasing practices and inventory management. For instance, buying too much inventory, so hoarding, and then outdating because your inventory supply on hand does not meet your patient volumes. So you're just buying to waste, sucking out resources from the marketplace to waste them, not being good stewards, as well as being too lean. So you keep only day's supply on hand instead of week's supply on hand, for instance. Well, you're going to be impacted uh, greater than someone else that keeps a larger supply on hand when there is a supply shortage to take care of your same patients. And then finally, I don't want to leave out anyone. Patients do contribute to drug shortages along the global supply chain. 
Our baby boomer population is currently straining our healthcare system, and the addition of a pandemic doesn't help at all. But when the drug is able to successfully move through the global drug supply chain, we'd consider that a success. So like I mentioned, this was meant to be in no means an exhaustive list or all-inclusive, but you can start to appreciate and understand why nearly 60% of the reasons just last year were reasons unknown. And when you look at this and you consider all of the considerations that a drug has to go through to from beginning to end, you can kind of imagine how it's a wonder that any single drug gets to any patient. So we'll move towards our third assessment question, which is that Mayo Clinic is currently tracking over 250 plus drug shortages. Is that A, true, or B, false? Okay, we'll stop at 19. Great job, guys. The answer is A, true. So we just reviewed all the potential considerations that could contribute to drug shortages. So uh, what can we do about them? So now this talks about the processes and the strategies for drug shortage management. ASHP provides a really nice framework for how drug or, um, organizations, excuse me, can best manage drug shortages. The first step in this framework would be the identification of the drug shortage. Here in this phase, you document the rationale and the expected duration of the shortage. Moving on to the operational assessment within a drug shortage program, this is where you track and monitor inventory on hand and also understand and consider what alternative supplies that you have on hand. After your operational assessment is performed, you transition to a therapeutic assessment. This really identifies your affected patient population as well as reviews any therapeutic alternatives. I'd like to note the difference between the discussion when I term alternative therapies between the operational and the therapeutic assessment. So alternative therapies during the operational assessment would be, for an example, where there's a supply shortage of what our preferred product is, a unit dose product. Well, supply alternatives under the operational assessment would be, are there any bulk medications, right? So we're repackaging a bulk bottle to essentially unit dose that medication. Versus the therapeutic assessment, that's where alternative therapies are considered. So now we're engaging our practice chairs and our formulary colleagues to really understand true alternative therapies that can be used. So once those two assessments are performed, you can begin to develop the shortage impact analysis, which assesses the patient safety impact, as well as your organizational agility to respond to drug shortages. So are you able to prevent delays and cancellations of important procedures and therapies? You can now start developing a final action plan, which is essentially the comprehensive approach and effective coordination of your drug shortage management strategy for any one given drug shortage. Once you've got your final action plan all summarized and finalized, you can then begin communication of your plan to its key stakeholders, keeping in mind to keep your message and communication as clear and concise as possible. So once we know the basics, and I should back up and say, it is impossible to prevent drug shortages. Right? So truly the function of drug shortage management is to minimize therapy delays, workload burden, mitigate medication errors and patient safety risk, and alleviate any staff stress excuse me, or provider frustration, because we can't prevent them.
And the goal in doing so is to provide drug therapy that is seamless, safe, and therapeutically equivalent. We also want to be cost conscious or cost comparable. Now, while cost is certainly not a driver of success in your drug shortage management program, it should always be acknowledged and considered. A statistics from a 2013 ASHP drug shortage guide was estimated that over $209 million was spent on more expensive substitutes alone in drug shortage management. This does not include off-contract purchases, alternative therapies, or the added labor cost that goes into drug shortage management. So we talked about the basics, the ASHP framework for drug shortage management. What do we do here at Mayo? Well, at Mayo Clinic, under the direction of the Enterprise P&T subcommittee, the Medication Shortage Management Oversight Group was established in August of 2020. This subcommittee is a cross-functional group of pharmacy representatives across all of our sites, including the DMCs, Rochester, Florida, Arizona, and the Mayo Midwest sites, and meets every other week on Tuesdays or sooner as shortages demand for the purpose of ensuring a proactive approach to effective and timely drug shortage management. We're able to achieve our drug shortage management strategies through important elements of identification, collaboration, and communication. So as you think about the ASHP framework and what we do here at MISMOS, I'd like you to just be mindful to try to compare and contrast the similarities and differences between the two. Want to highlight who our MISMOS team is? So we've got pharmacy representatives, as mentioned, from inpatient pharmacy, clinical considerations, formulary colleagues, sterile products compounding, purchasing personnel, informaticists, non-sterile products compounding, outpatient pharmacy, pharmacy executive leadership, as well as enterprise P&T considerations. And MISMOS also invites and includes ad hoc members that really work as our, our subject matter experts understanding how we can specifically manage drug-specific uh, approaches to any of our specialty areas. This would include hematology, oncology, pediatrics, for example. Very helpful. So collectively, these individuals are responsible for monitoring, investigating, evaluating, developing, and implementing a drug shortage management strategy for an identified medication shortage, impending outage, outage, any drug supply concerns in the marketplace, and certainly maintains our critical drug list as well. So let's begin with the identification strategy. Well, while any person at Mayo Clinic can bring forward a drug shortage concern, or identify a drug shortage, I should say, it's really our frontline staff, our purchasing personnel, that are purchasing our products day in and day out, that are able to easily and readily identify drug shortage issues, and they go on to documenting rationale, our current supply on hand, the anticipated duration of shortage. They validate our current supply against alternative supply, as mentioned, and they do this against our past usage history and past purchase history to really understand our weak supply on hand and what we'll need moving forward. They perform ongoing monitoring and tracking over those shortages, and in doing so, they follow the purchasing best practices guidance in order to maintain a certain week's target supply on hand. This is really important to note that we flex and um, determine drug-specific-wise based off of how many um, target week supply we want on hand. So a critical medication, for instance, we might 
want to target or capture a 12-week supply on hand versus a non-critical medication, we will target an eight-week supply. So that's just an example. Here's our Mayo Midwest drug shortages SharePoint where all of our shortage tracking is available. Here's an example of a snippet of what the pharmacy best practicing guidance looks like. And then here is an expanded version of just one of 250 plus tracking sheets, essentially an Excel sheet that our purchasing specialists are monitoring and tracking. Like to highlight just a few things, we've got the medication, all of the important drug information, including the NDC, the SIN number, which is the cardinal identification number, and our EPIC ID. We've got the total week supply on hand. We also have a breakdown of each site supply on hand in eaches and the usage available. The usage range, this is over a six month time frame here. It looks like this data was collected based off of usage history and purchase history from July of 2020 to 12 or December 2020 of last year. Manufacturer information says no ETA is available. That's concerning. We've got prescribing guidelines published that tells and dictates prescribing practices, back order information, formal mail communications where you would find prescribing guidelines being published, ASHP info, and also this tells you how often we're tracking. So if you see along the tabs on the bottom, it looks like this is a priority shortage for us. We're tracking on a minimum a weekly basis or even sooner as needed. So moving on to the collaboration strategy, this is where we will offer out operationalize actions involving automation and information technology systems with our informaticist colleagues. We will initiate requests for formulary review, conservation, and or prescribing guidelines as driven really by our MCPFS colleagues and their task force. We'll devise alternative therapies involving compounding and repackaging, either non-sterile or sterile products. And then again, we will also have clinical considerations for maintaining and updating our critical medication list. This is important because we may have not had the uh, medication defined on our antidote or our critical drug list, but again, based off of the classification of, of importance that we've deemed a medication to be, that determines how we track the medication and the weak supply that we want to target. So here's just a few examples of different recipes that we've created to essentially compound and repackage otherwise uh, known as commercially available products that we would have gotten from our wholesaler or our CUVA 503B compounding facility. This is an important uh, recall consideration because just within the last few months, we had a recall that affected nearly every lot number and vial of our cisplatin, octreotide, and our carboplatin medication where it was found to be a lidocaine contaminant. While it wasn't directly a drug shortage issue because it affected nearly every product that we had purchased across all of our sites at Mayo. It certainly became a supply issue and came through uh, Miss Moss team on collaborating on how we were going to manage this. So this is a pharmacist specific alert that the providers do not know about. This is on order entry that says um, if there is a noted lidocaine allergy of IgE mediated intent or background with an ordered product, this is the signal to the pharmacist on order verification to go and check your lot number to see if you have affected products so that that medication or that vial does not get administered to this specific patient. So very specific. And then here is a best practice advisory that's probably most common listing the alternatives. So notifying the provider on order entry of a current shortage. The prescribing guideline is listed there. And then you can select the alternative uh, therapies available.
And then our last really key strategy in MISMOS is communication. This is where we publish prescribing or conservation guidelines for use. We develop and distribute management plans to the appropriate stakeholders. This is also where we identify and communicate when normal medication use practices may resume. So before MISMOS, we would implement a drug shortage management strategy, but we'd never really close the loop. So maybe we made changes in EPIC, we sent out to communication, but we'd never come back and say, hi, we have adequate supply on hand, or this is no longer a drug shortage concern, to essentially undo what we did and then re-communicate to those important stakeholders for their awareness that we've got the original intended drug supply on hand. And then we also assess and address, address drug shortage uh, concerns in the marketplace. Also an interesting consideration that was brought about by Ms. Moss, for example, we are in charge of addressing and supporting our Mayo Clinic providers to take care of our Mayo Clinic patients for non-Mayo supply shortages. That means if you have your neighborhood preferred pharmacy, even though Mayo may not be tracking the supply shortage because we have adequate supply on our Mayo Clinic outpatient pharmacies, it's not really the Mayo way to tell our patients to transfer all of their medications over to a Mayo Clinic pharmacy just because we have supply. And for our, our pharmacy friends out there, it also increases polypharmacy, which we don't want to do. So here's some snippets of common communication strategies. Please subscribe to The Scope. We publish medication shortage uh, updates, new shortage information, as well as resolutions. The weekly dose, you can also find this information. And here's a snippet of an example of a prescribing guideline. So please make note of these important communications, save them, keep them in a great place so that in the event you have any questions about a shortage, you can refer to them in the future. And now this is not uh, an assessment question, just more informational, I'm just curious. How would you like to be notified about a Mayo Clinic drug shortage? Would you like to A, be notified via email, B, the weekly dose, C, the scope, D, your supervisor, E, epic, or F, all of the above? Very helpful information. Thank you so much. I'm going to take all of the above and Ms. Moss is going to run with it. Thank you. So we talked about basic strategies. We talked about our Mayo framework, what Ms. Moss accomplishes. If we could have anything, just kind of like a, a wishful thinking, a hopeful wish list, let's think about how we can optimize drug shortage management. It would be great if we had some sort of automated inventory tracking and monitoring. Like I shared, that spreadsheet, just a snippet, again, there's over 250 of those available right now that we're tracking shortages. That's all manually input by our purchasing colleagues. That data um, is not in any way automated. That's a manual process. So it would be great if we had some kind of automation as far as in, uh, inventory tracking and monitoring that compared our current orders or our usage in Epic, for instance with our inventory supply, so connecting our auto farm, our TALIS inventories. If we had some sort of automation and inventory tracking, we could then create a real-time drug shortage status board. So what this would look like is simply a red, yellow, green stoplight where anyone across Mayo, internal and external to the pharmacy, can access this information to say, hey, I have a question about this, and you either for instance, would see green, good to go, prescribe away, we've got adequate supply. Yellow, okay, supply is kind of iffy, right? Maybe supply wasn't as good uh, today as it was last week or just yesterday. 
or red, okay, now we're getting to the approach where we're, um, we've got an upcoming or impending outage occurring. So do not order conservation guidelines or restriction guidelines essentially in full effect. Do not pass go unless it is this very specific patient population. A singular communication channel. So as witnessed with the communication strategy, there's lots of venues where we post drug shortage information, the weekly dose, the scope, email, EPIC, your supervisor. We don't really have a singular communication channel that we can be confident that we've reached all the key stakeholders. So that means in our fragmented communications, we could be sending out redundant or duplicative information to those that really didn't need to see it. Or we could be missing key stakeholders through these communication channels that even though we've posted it in several different ways and venues, we still didn't reach the target audience that we intended. And then lastly, predictive modeling to anticipate drug shortages. So uh, artificial intelligence is exciting, it's new. Could we in some way use that technology for drug shortage tracking? So say in six weeks from now, we anticipate a heparin shortage. That would be awesome, but then I, as I think about it, what would we do with that information? Would we buy up every drug in the marketplace, essentially hoarding drug to cause a pseudo shortage? No, we shouldn't do that. If we had access to something like this, this sort of technology, who else would have access? So I'm not sure if that would be helpful, but anyway, predictive modeling can support drug shortage management. Let's bring it on. So our key takeaways, drug shortages are not new to healthcare. COVID exposed vulnerabilities within our drug supply chain. It keeps showing us the vulnerability. And drug shortages are a global pandemic. But hey, Mayo Clinic is actively managing ever increasing complexities and challenges for drug shortage management. Here's some great resources. I encourage you to um, find the drug shortage management SharePoint page. We've got a shortages and recalls page on the Mayo Midwest PT committee page. Drug shortages app uh, downloadable on your smartphone, which is great. I have it. I love it. Um, and then there's a wealth of information on the ASHP and Vizient websites related to drug shortage information. And coming soon, new, um, we've got a drug shortage inquiry form where anyone who has a question about drug shortages can submit this form and it'll go directly to the Ms. Moss shared inbox where our committee will review it. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, subscribe using iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Thank you for listening to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds. Join us weekly for more exciting clinical pharmacology topics.